Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. In this episode, we're going to focus on automation, especially in the area of service management. And to do that, I've been listening to the help of Peria Hansen, who leads service management in Europe for Unisys and is also leading innovation in ITSM globally. Welcome to the podcast, Pear. Thank you very much, Weston. I'm super happy to be here. Well, maybe if we could talk a little bit about the life cycle of a digital worker. That whole hire to retire process, I think there's opportunities for automation all along that process. Maybe we could, let's start from the beginning and, and talk about the onboarding process. What opportunities for automation do you see there? Anybody who has tried to create any kind of service catalog process or function for onboarding knows it's tricky. Do you have HR involved? Do you have resourcing? Do you have IT? you have facilities? You have all of these di different units involved that might be wor working in different systems. So here is where automation can also help because you can, you can technically bridge uh, gaps that might exist in the organization where HR and IT doesn't maybe get along super well or don't have really well communication between them. So if you can do that through a system, you can get again back to consistency in your process. So of course you hire somebody, you might have two months until the person starts. Could you do something in onboarding already during this period? Sure. Could a user submit a photo on themselves? Could they submit an NDA? Could they give some information about preferred working environment or preferred type of laptop or whatever it is so that they feel cared for and already before they even put a foot in the actual premises. So if you automate that and put consistent process technologically, you can, of course, ensure you have the, the security involved there as well, because it's a question if, if anything is done manually, there is a risk. There is a risk somebody put somebody in the wrong group. They have access to the to customer data they shouldn't have access to or whatever it is. But it, in this part of the process, at least, it's more about getting consistency and getting the new employee to get a really good fussy feeling when they come. Oh, they did things really fast for me. And oh, they really thought about everything. And when I came, there was a desk with the equipment ready on it and it's there. And the alternative is is really a bad experience for that new employee, right? They come in <laughs> yes. and they wait, you know, I think in some cases a week before a device is ready for them, before that device has the apps that are on them, before they have a single sign-on. Maybe they never even get single sign-on, right? And, and I think with one of your clients, you've even integrated the training that they need. Mm -hmm. When they walk in, that training is already ready for them on their device, which is pretty cool. In this case, they made the external learning ready or available before they started because it's an external provider and they have a certain level of, of licensing and access. They were able to provide this access to the, to the new employee two, three, four weeks before they start. Oh, wow. Which gives them, oh, they really want me. And if you look at a little bit cynically, maybe from the company perspective, they get the user to actually, or the person to actually start learning and being interested on their own free time before they even start because they feel cared for and they're excited about what they're going to do and they want to be prepared. So now I'm with the company. I'm now doing my job. What are some examples of automation that you see in this, I'll say the steady state aspect of a digital worker? 
So some of the typical ones are when you want to request something due to a new situation in your work. So you have been asked to managing a little project that you never done before. So, okay, can I have Microsoft project? So you have removed the step of somebody calling the service desk and ordering it to the user doing it himself or herself. And of course, you can then automate your, your approval cycle so that you, your manager gets an email or even an integration through your, your chatbot saying, yeah, he wants to have this software. Is that okay? You click yes. And the user gets an email a minute, two minutes later saying, oh, your software has been installed. Please restart your PC. So to have that feeling of you enter something and you go to to have a coffee, you come back and it's on your your machine, again, gives a really nice feeling about being cared for and things work. But also, I don't have to wait two, three days until I can tell this project I can actually manage it. So access to, uh, to software is a typical thing, but it can go a lot broader than that. If you imagine how uh, organizations today manage their file shares, distribution lists, group mailboxes, access to shared printers, these kind of resources that a person quite often need access to, it takes minutes rather than days to get it. So that's looking at tasks and requests. But I also could look at incident uh, automation. We're looking more at systems like NextThing or platforms that can look at your, your end user devices. The system could look at things like crashes of the system or slowness of processes and trigger on a pattern could go into an internal knowledge base of, of the AI or the automation, look at what should be done could even send an email. So I, as a user, could get an email saying, oh, we noticed that your system have crashed five times the last week. We have looked at your versions of, of McAfee. You have an old version. That could be what's causing you trouble. By the way, we have arranged to have that updated next weekend. So on Monday, maybe your problem is gone. Let us know if it persists. To have that kind of feeling of, of not having to try to figure it out yourself could be quite valuable. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the offboarding process, because I think that's sometimes overlooked when a person leaves the company, either by choice or, you know, on less, less than friendly terms. What are the opportunities for automation and why are they so important? Yeah, so I would say that that the opportunities for offboarding is even in a way bigger than onboarding, because in onboarding, we might not 100% know what should the user have? But for offboarding, if we have a well-structured system within CMDB where we actually know exactly what software do this user have access to, what resources does the user have access to, exactly which PC does the user have, then the possibility to automate on offboarding is really, really big. We can put in steps that makes retention of knowledge possible. A client I worked with just a while ago here when we automated this offboarding process for them, if the user have an email box, we convert that email box to a group mailbox and we make sure that the manager of that leaving employee have access to that group mailbox. How many companies have we been in where we know colleagues or even ourselves that have years and years of knowledge stored in emails? 
when that user have left, that email box is gone. And we cannot know to whom that user sent whatever they sent or what information they got from clients and other users, right? It's important from both a knowledge retention and even a, a legal discovery, uh, depending on the world that the person's in. But another part to look at that, of course, is I mean, what happens if you leave access to any kind of system? You don't think about your external learning portal or you don't think about a cloud environment that this developer was actually responsible for or access to a partner's ecosystem because it's not within your company. You don't think about the fact that you should probably remove access to, to the partner ecosystem. So the user could still access that information. Do you have a, a legal obligation to do something about it? So if you automate all of this, it's the consistency you're back to again, and sometimes lead time. I mean, if you have a, a non-friendly lever and you would like to ensure that when that person leaves the building, they can't take up their mobile phone and do any kind of damage, then it really helps if you can rely on the automation having triggered. So we have a case where, or for a client, it took four and a half days to remove access to everything a user had access to. But they pulled it down to six seconds automation. Oh, wow. They haven't even left the, uh, the building yet. <laughs> exactly. That means that when they go out with a phone, they can't access anything they shouldn't. So that can be incredibly valuable to minimize the risk, but also make things like GDR compliance and other things a lot easier to manage. And I would say an additional benefit is uh, asset recovery. I, it, there's so many times when we do an asset discovery for a new client and they will say, we have, let's say 30,000 PCs and we find that there's 34,000. <laughs> but these 4,000 are mystery PCs. They're there for many reasons, but one of them is a poor offboarding process where they didn't know what happened with that device. It was handed back to a manager. He or she stuck it in a drawer and it stayed there um, because I think I might need that, right? And that might be because I think I need that email <laughs> or those files. But I would say maybe even more importantly is recovering the software assets. The licenses need to be recovered and then reused for other employees. So there's a big cost savings if, if offboarding is done properly. So you don't necessarily need automation to do all this because all you need is a structure and a process. But if you can automate, it's easier to follow a structured process. So, Per, I think one thing that our listeners would be very interested in, especially as you've said here, not everything is easily automatable or worth automating. Are there some simple uh, tests that you use to determine whether something is automatable or not? Yeah, I think it, the question could almost be divided in two. So one is, are they automatable? The second is, should we automate them? Okay. Right, which could be two separate uh, views. So if we look at automatable or not, it's typically just around your, your technical limitations. So do you need to integrate with another system? Is, does that in, uh, system have any kind of integration methods towards whatever tool you use to automate? But if you have, say, an, an old invoicing system or an old um, people management system, maybe on an AS400 platform or any other kind of legacy platform, then they might not support the integration methods that you have available to you. Do you have the knowledge and the resourcing you need? Do you have the support internally to do it? It's quite easy to identify, oh, we would like to automate access to this and this system, 
but then the fight to get there to actually get the resources you need to get maybe there are uh, access you need to open in firewalls even within the company or or externally there might be any kind of connectivity challenges so that's sort of a an answer to what is automatable you've found in your experience that there's some cases we should not be automating something even if it meets this criteria that you just described where we could automate it why is that what are some examples of that so if you have something that is carried out once a year they take 10 minutes to to perform then you have very little time you could invest in making that integration worthwhile but of course you could have something that you want to integrate for another reason so for example if you have problem with the inconsistency if there are users complaining about the fact that they get a message saying oh this is resolved but they don't get the exact version of of the software then that's a good candidate for automation because automation doesn't only do things faster it actually performs for inconsistency because of course the system will do the same thing every single time so you're basically removing the possibility for user error and in that way you create consistency so tasks that are frequent enough to be worth it tasks that might have inconsistency issues also tasks that takes a very very long time to do manually but could maybe be done really really quickly automatically also things like audit and compliance if access to certain systems are important and it's important to have the right approvals it's important to have the right logs to have the right traceability of the request and what's being done of course you can set that in your automation to really make sure you get absolutely everything spot on so when you then uh, do your audit and compliance a year later you know that everything will follow a certain structure to 100% whatever task you do the task needs to be replicable so if there are human factors that still need to do a certain evaluation that you can't teach the system to do then at least with current technology it's probably better to still do that manually rather than involve automation in addition to the two benefits you outlined that it does something faster i think that's probably the the dollar savings people are thinking about but it being more accurate is probably something people are not thinking about and the third one is the automation is always on. It's always there. It's 24 by 7, 365, right? And, and in many cases can be scaled for peak loads, whereas uh, if these were people that were doing these tasks, uh, there may not be available 24 hours a day, uh, and, and they may not be able to quickly scale up and scale down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the scalability is a big factor because it doesn't really matter if 10 tasks comes in in 10 minutes or if 100 task comes in in 10 minutes so that way you don't have problems to do your task during vacation times so what, what do we do with july in in europe in your experience what percentage of tasks that a large enterprise may have generally can be automatable if you look at utopia you could automate absolutely everything you can have <laughs> robots that do the physical parts right 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 um but what we have looked at and the clients which we did these analysis for um, lately, I would say somewhere around 60 to 75% because we focused on the ones that not only can we automate, but where is it reasonably easy to do it? 
So if I'm an enterprise that is looking very hard at automation, which really every enterprise should be doing at this day and age in 2020, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and they're, they're going to use that as a guideline. They're going to say, okay, between 60 and 75% of my tasks are reasonably automatable. Of that, 71% of those tasks are being handled by automation. So that means another 29% are still being handled manually. And, and so why is that exactly? Because one thing that, that most people don't think about is of course that if you have a process that might not be fully mature, it might not work really well. If you automate that, the only thing you're gonna do is you're gonna reach a wrong result quicker. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not necessarily only on what should you automate, it's what are you prepared and ready to automate at this point in time. So the clients we looked at, this um, review that we done for automation, also serves a sort of a maturation review and could trigger them to say, ah, yeah, actually we have a really old legacy system managing invoicing, for example. And if we would trade that to a more uh, modern system with modern interfaces and modern ways of working, we could actually automate those. So it could be sort of a, a trigger and an awareness for continuous improvement on technology, but as well for processes. Of course, there were some where they said, yeah, we could automate that, but we don't really know how it works. We have some people doing it. We don't really have a good knowledge base on this specific area. Uh, we don't really know what they're doing and they're a little bit difficult to work with. So let's leave that for now. But that could definitely be a trigger for, okay, let's work on that on an organization low CM level to then mature that part. And once that matured, we can then look at automation on it. So you mentioned OCM, uh, the human factor really here. Um, so if you build it, will they come? That's the question, right? Mm. What are some, some ways that, that you can use organizational change management to encourage people, or I don't want to say force people, but maybe gently force them <laughs> into using this automation? Because it really is going to be to their benefit and to the company's benefit if they use it. It's going to be a wasted effort in automation if they don't use it. If you could speak to that OCM just a little bit, I think that would be helpful. There's two user groups to look at here. One are the end users that actually trigger the creation of the tasks or the incident or whatever it is that uh, want to automate. But when you talk about OCM, it's also around the people that you need to get this to work in the organization. So if you ask a team and you ask them, oh, what, what tasks do you normally do? How often do you do them? What kind of steps do you do in these tasks, et cetera? And they ask you, why do you want to know? I said, yeah, because we want to automate them. Um, you might not get the actual- <laughs> Take your job away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might not get the collaboration that you, you would hope for, right? Um, so it's typical that, why should I help you? Because you're basically trying to make me redundant. But really no point to automate tasks that people do today that are interesting. Because if you're really looking at it, you want to automate simple tasks. You want to automate the ones that are carried out all the time, the ones that are repeatable and consistent. So if I do a task like that and I do 200 of them a day, I would probably be happy if somebody could figure out a way to take that away from me. And in most organizations, business units, groups, there are other things that I could be doing instead that would actually have more value to the company and more value to myself because it's the creative bits, the troubleshooting, the figuring out new ways of doing things better or talking to my clients and building a relationship 
those are the things that will fulfill me as an individual to work with. Not necessarily click the same five, five buttons in the same five fields 200 times a day. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And it aligns with uh, what uh, Nikki Davis said. He's the vice president in charge of all the digital workplace services at Unisys, where he said, we're trying to take the robots out of people so that people can do the work that they do best and enjoy the most. You know, Take that boring robotic workout. And I think that's very much in harmony with what you just said, Pear. There is another point here is, as well, is that not only is it boring to do, um, but it's very seldom that you get appreciation for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very few users out there who understands that and goes, oh, oh, thank you for putting those five fields in 200 times. I had never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. And the opposite is actually true. When they make a mistake, and they enter in the wrong field, they get distracted, uh, that's when they get yelled at. Can't you do your job? Or, you know, why, why did you mess up like that? So that, that's another reason exactly. to give that to a bot. <laughs> mm-hmm. With regard to OCM, there's a couple of things that I'm aware of that a couple of our customers, we've done with them. When new technology is coming out to make sure that if we build it, will they come? Will they use it? Will they still use the old method? Is to actually use videos. It's almost like an internal marketing campaign directed at employees one of the videos it had to do with a rollout of uh, moving to Windows 10. And that particular client, the end users had fairly negative experience going from XP to 7. And here now they're being told we're going to 10 and that's in their mind. And they knew we're just not going to get great adoption. Yeah. So we created a video that explained the process as here's the five steps, here's how it goes, uh, get a cup of coffee, come back, and now you'll have your data, your apps, and everything. You will not lose things. And if you have any problems, here's where you go for help. So I think you've hit on something here mentioning OCM. It is a very important part of the planning process in thinking about how you're going to do your automation. Yeah, I would say so. And even in this case where there could be fear involved, right? If you could do a proof of concept with a group and then maybe do a video, do a use case of it where you explain what was done, what value has it brought to the company, what has it brought to that actual team? They might be less overworked. They might do a lot more fun things might be actually have more employee satisfaction in that team. And if that's the case, that having a couple of interviews and video could really break down a lot of barriers of fear. What are some lessons learned that uh, our listeners could benefit from, from your experience in planning for automation and executing on it? I think the main thing is what to expect for or what value to derive from automation. Because there's this perception that if you do automation um, of a certain task, the value of that is the person not having to do the task, right? So if it takes me five minutes to do something, I automate that, I save that five minutes of value, and I can have that person doing something more valuable. Yes, that's absolutely a, a value derived. But in our experience in the automations we've done and the use cases we studied, is that there are two even more valuable aspects to this. One is the lead time. And this is, was a surprise to us, actually, when we, when we did this for our first client, was the fact that, okay, we saved a little bit of time for, for people, but we've removed lead time in, for example, access to a system. We removed it from over four days to six minutes. So the user wanted access to to a billing system and they went to coffee, they came back and they had it. So not only does it make a better feeling, so you increase the user satisfaction, 
but you also make it possible for me to perform that task after my coffee break rather than having to wait four days. The lead time is, is a really, really important factor. And it was to me surprising how powerful that saving is. Well, let's look into the future if you don't mind. How do you see this automation evolving in the enterprise? If we look at what we have today in home automation, the ability to automate your lighting and your heating and other systems, uh, sound, etc., in your house have been there for a very, very long time, many, many years. But what's coming in now, the last couple of years, have been the integration with Siri and Alexa, with, with Amazon and Google and such. That's where we see the future coming in also in automation in the workplace. Why do I have to know that I have to go to a portal? Where do I have to enter things in a keyboard, which is a fairly slow interface in a way? Why should I not be able to basically say, hey, Unisys, why don't you help me in creating this request for me? So... It's about moving this consumable voice recognition system into the workplace, which uh, Unisys is now offering of IntelliServe, an IVA system called Amelia that can actually listen to, to the input for users and in any kind of channel. So probably a buzzword everybody's heard is omnichannel these days, right? Where it's text, it's Skype, it's social media with Facebook, it's voice, it's whatever else it is. And Amelia, in this case, can listen through, listen through all those channels and use the same AI and knowledge base and automation in behind to manage all those channels. So, for example, if I call up a service desk and I talk to somebody and so forth, and I explain things and the service desk say, oh, I understand that and hangs up. Then the next time I call, why should I have to explain the same thing again? Just because it happened to be in a verbal format rather than in a written format that maybe a chatbot could pick up again. So Amelia in this case is to me really fascinating because it listens to voice and creates that knowledge and learning based upon what I say. And not only about what I say, but how I say it. So this is something that's coming in more in the future now is the sentiment and learning from, from bots that not only can it recognize what I say, what words I say, but also how I say it in what order I say them, with tone of voice I'm using, what kind of specific trigger words I'm using, how angry am I, how happy am I? Uh, and, and that could then um, lay that on top of automation and makes the, make the decision of your process based upon how I am as a user. So by putting more this sort of user interaction with artificial intelligence to be able to, to recognize sentiment and wording and, and learning and in the channel that I as a user want to interact with, even if I want to use Facebook or I want to use voice or I want to use SMS or Snapchat for the younger audience, then there is where I see the future, is integrating all of that to one. So no matter what, who you are um, and what you use, you get the same treatment and the same uh, process triggered. Well, Perry Hansen, uh, thank you so much for sharing your experience today with us. You're welcome. You've been listening to Perry Hansen, who leads service management in Europe and is also leading innovation in ITSM globally for Unisys. 
This is the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thanks for listening.